0: i'm john atack and i think but we we may by the end of this conversation determine otherwise and by the end of the conversation chris shelton may be john atack and john atack may be chris shelton how do we know and i think this is the day we're going to find out because of what we're going to talk about so indeed
1: um, (laughs) Uh yeah, today we are tackling um or at least we're starting off the conversation tackling uh technology, artificial intelligence, the singularity and where this is all going. This is by the way something that is really blowing up in the media right now. It's a very hot topic item because of the release of ChatGPT and Bard and various AI Interfaces and um, advanced search, text engine completion machines. There is a, a thing called MidJourney, which will create art for you. One of I'm sure many platforms that that will that you can feed uh, prompts into, description, descriptive phrases. And the computer will generate art based on it your... It
0: will paint a Rembrandt.
1: Yeah, it it well, will compose
0: a Mozart symphony. It,
1: it, it, if you tell it to, it will do its best to duplicate or, or take the characteristics it understands. And the very mm. funny thing about all of this is we have to use human terminology to describe mm. processes that are not human organic thinking processes. Mm. They are simulated processes uh, or they are processes that that attempt rather to simulate in some ways the way our brains work and so um, I thought I thought maybe we might want to start because this was something I needed to be clear on and maybe other people do too as they've heard this term the singularity we're approaching the singularity. What With a big capital S. And Peter Thiel is is obsessed with creating the singularity. What is the singularity? What what is this? Well, I looked it up. The technological... I'm just going to read from from Wikipedia Mm. because it's something everybody can look up. Okay, this isn't the be-all, end-all of this, but this is just a description. The technological singularity is a hypothetical future point in time at which technological growth becomes uncontrollable... And irreversible, resulting in unforeseeable changes to human civilization. That's in a nutshell, that's the singularity.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the idea, the idea in its origins, it comes from Silicon Valley, I think. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the Terminator, the movie, um, does actually deal with potential consequences. And, um, one of the developers of virtual reality, Jaron Lanier, who is a remarkable, brilliant man, became a heretic. And, um, you know, more than a decade ago started saying, these people really believe that the singularity will solve all humanist problems. And it's sort of, uh, it's teleological, you know, that in the future we will have created God and it will do everything. And the Terminator sits at the other end of this idea that it'll go... Why bother with these horrid creatures? Let's get rid of them. Right. And I introduced the subject because a few weeks ago I I, I saw Big Bug, Jean-Pierre Genet, the brilliant creator of Amelie and uh, Micmac and Delicatessen and so many other um wonderful films. That this great film came on on Amazon and I watched it and I was so interested in this doesn't happen that often, but three days later, I watched it again. And I thought this is a really good, and And I just suggest that people go and have a look at that because here you have this very brilliant eccentric mind, Jean-Pierre Genet, who is looking at this problem and offering some reflections upon what might happen to us if we're not a little bit careful. We can add to that that there's been a petition recently, um, on uh future of life and it says pause giant ai experiments an open letter yeah. it's been signed by Elon Musk of all people um but fifty thousand people to date have signed it I'm not one of them and uh, there's a reason for that and what they're saying is let's see if we can put our spectacles on and see what they're saying. Um you're lucky you've got your specs on already I have to put them <laughs> on the table. Tech- um yeah we have this idea that and let's make a distinction that we've been dealing with artificial intelligence for a long time, and this is when you go on Amazon and buy a coffee maker and it recommends ten more coffee makers for you
1: right <laughs> you
0: know, that's that's, right. that's really artificial as far as intelligence goes. Then we've got the kind of artificial intelligence agency as I kind of think of it things like Facebook, you know where Facebook their data was sold to forty-five thousand, I think it is, forty to forty-five thousand corporations harvested five thousand pieces of information on every adult in the United States, according to Brittany Kaiser, who sold Cambridge Analytica to the Donald Trump campaign in two thousand and fifteen or whenever, twenty sixteen. Yep. yep. And so that's I think of that as they say as the artificial as artificial intelligence agency that you know, your Alexa, your Siri, I wrote a piece called Little Sister is Listening to You years ago and published it. Because if you are using Alexa, it is recording everything that happens. And um, this came to light in an FBI warrant years ago where they said, and I don't remember which of the, whether it was Siri or Cortana or, you know, I don't want to slag off the wrong people it's like you know drink the kool-aid it wasn't kool-aid it was flavor aid and that was the best marketing thing that flavor aid ever got to We'll get rid of kool-aid well so i i don't remember which it was but a murder had been committed in a room where there was one of these a member of the artificial intelligence agency was functioning and they got you know i'm glad if the murderer was convicted that's a good thing but the idea that we're being watched all the time, being recorded, that's within AI. What we're now headed towards is artificial general intelligence.
1: Right, AGI. That's right. That's mm. the that's the big goal concept that is being um, discussed so much now in the in the media is the differences between the level that you're talking about and this more generalized. You know, independent, creative decision-making machine intelligence. I guess you could describe Mm -hmm. it as where it it kind of. The idea is that you wouldn't really be able to tell any difference between that and you and me.
0: And and yeah, absolutely. That it would pass the the so-called Turing test. Mm -hmm. That that in talking with it, you wouldn't know that you were talking to a machine. And in fact, machines have already. You know, uh, the the for me the the. The, the, the Rubicon was crossed when um, a computer was first able to beat a, a, a world champion at the game of Go. Right. You know, when, right. when Deep Blue beat Kasparov. Yeah, you know, chess is, you know, it's a restricted game with a, a limited number of moves. Go, although a very simple game to play, I've played it since I was 17, is infinitely complex and so when that it was like oh oh my god we've got to a level of processing now so the idea with um this petition and and we'll put you know in the the comments it, sorry in the description we'll we'll put a link to it if you want to sign it future of life is that we must stop doing these experiments We, you know uh, gpt4 is is the the new generation that was released a week or two back um Uh, And it says, should we let machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruth? Um, Should we automate away all the jobs, including the fulfilling ones? Should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outnumber, outsmart, obsolete? That's not really a good use grammatically of the word obsolete. And replace us. I say that as a proofreader. Um, And... It, they quote this, cite this idea. At some point, it may be important to get independent review before starting to train future systems, and for the most advanced efforts, to agree to limit the rate of growth of computer, of the growth of computers. Says in fact, used for creating new models, and they say the point is now. The reason I'm not signing this petition is because if in the West we stop developing. Artificial general intelligence. The Chinese won't. True. And so, it, from a military point of view, and I hate to say this is a pacifist, but the kind of pacifist that if you threaten me, I'll punch you. You know, I'm not not going to roll over and lie down. But that the at the moment, China is an incredible threat militarily. Um, they have developed weapon systems that the US doesn't have. Um, And they have now got bases because of the uh, Belt and Road program, which I think is in over 130 countries now, leaving only 60 or 70 where it doesn't exist. But in places like Sri Lanka, where they lent money to build an airport and docks, and when the interest payments were defaulted on, they took control of those, which means they potentially have military bases wherever they've done this. I don't want to be a scaremonger. I love the Chinese people, but I have a real problem with the Chinese government.
1: Yeah, and exactly.
0: Particularly Xi. China is a fascist country. It is not a democracy. You can't have a single party democracy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um and so but the unbridled release of this um is another matter altogether. Um I think I you know I've got so much here so many bits and pieces I don't want to as you've put it before gish galloping and, and just
1: <laughs> you're not gish so, galloping that's that's a debate thing john uh and you don't you don't do that i um thank you yeah no not at all i um i i've got a lot of different ideas about this but my basic thing my basic like Problem with the with the way that this is being approached is it, is I don't have a problem with the forward advance of technology. I've been watching it happen my entire life. I, during my lifetime, we've gone from punch cards and uh, floppy disks that were nine inches wide to you know to being able to put uh, the collected works of uh, you know the, the the Library of Congress on a thumb drive. I mean, it's it we've we've really come a long way in a few decades of yeah. my existence and during that time i have not been afraid of of technology or the march of progress of technology what i have watched and you know and 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 we both of us i think are psych guys we pay attention to the psychology of things and the the inner workings of a thing, and what we see, and I, I will, and I'm speaking for myself, is what I certainly see is the fatal flaw in the system is us, and not because we're puny and insignificant things. We're the ones creating all of this. So clearly, we're not puny and insignificant in this in this equation. What is difficult about the about human nature and about the human march of of technology is the historical context of it is that we always get our eye on a prize and we rush headlong in competitive spirit to get that prize and we don't ever stop and think until after the fact of having it what are the unintended consequences of this Technological advancement. And we can walk this all the way back to the longbow and the crossbow and the use of gunpowder for guns or for projectiles. Um, We can, you know, to the atomic, the the development of atomic weapons is the most modern cautionary tale, but all of this is a cautionary tale in history. Mm -hmm. And that's us. That's our psychology. That's our ego. That is our social hierarchy and status, and and trying to climb the status ladder, and that is trying honestly to build the better mousetrap, to build the better thing, to to make you know the the idea, the the sort of pacifistic maybe after the fact. I don't really know but the pacifistic approach to building the atomic weapons or to building the, the crossbow or the gun was make war, oh yeah, dynamite, right? Make war too terrible to be fought and it won't be fought. Well, that didn't pan out at all uh, because not everybody, not all human beings are on the same pacifistic page, nor are they even on the same cognitive level. Uh, you know, you, you take... Madmen, authoritarians, these are not bright guys all the time. And yet they can rise to incredible positions of incredible power and influence. And then they take the technology that comes out of this, you know, all the best intentions, all the most altruistic dreams, and they turn it into something awful because that's a capability that human beings have. So it's not. So now we're in a place where we have a we have a, a a debate a talk about well this is a developing technology, all of us there's not a single intelligent human being I've I've yet run across who doesn't have some degree of trepidation about this topic. They're like oh man this is this could be fraught with an awful lot of peril. There there could be real bad consequences here. And then we have the Peter Thiel's of the world, right? The the venture capitalists, the Silicon Valley magnets, the, the and and all of their developers, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't think about any of this. They just march forward, and and that's that cycle. I don't see any reason why this is any different. From any of those earlier times, why can we not ever learn the lessons? That's what I'm most concerned about with this. Is sure it's inevitable. We're gonna keep moving forward. Fine, but why can't we ever stop and think? Wait a second. Maybe we should think about what we're developing and what are all the unintended consequences of where this could go. And that's where where uh, Geron, Am I saying his name right? Because I always I've only, only seen it in writing. Really smart guy, really like his work. Mm. And for years, he's been decrying this. He's been saying, look, the yes. internet has all this amazing potential and social media just mm-hmm. turned it all upside down. It's not the internet that's the problem, it's that. And these mm-hmm. other gurus and other people who aren't thinking the thought through it, that seems to be a very core element of his arguments is, why are we not thinking all of this through? What are we doing? You know. So that's kind of my uh, general approach or attitude about it, just to kind of lead with that. And um, yeah, what and, and, and where are you coming from on it?
0: Well, I, I think there's a profound degree of magical thinking. Um, you know, the idea that once we hand over to this superior intelligence, it will be nice to us. Yes. And <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not sure... That, I mean, there's so much in what you said. I, I mean, I, I can't help it. The longbow and um, the battles of Crecy and Agincourt, um, <clears throat> in which the um, my compatriots at the time uh, defeated the French and um, took over the kingship of that country, which still rightfully belongs to our monarch. I think you'd probably agree if you studied. You well, know, so when Henry V, and, and gave us a couple <laughs> of great plays from Shakespeare... But, in fact, this gesture, which is considered particularly obscene in my country and is taken to mean f off oh hold, in fact, holding com-
1: holding holding two fingers up two fingers symbol yeah it, it
0: it's like the American spin on it right flipping right. the bird, but it's actually the English archers to the French saying, I've still got my fingers, because what the French would do is cut off the bow fingers of the right hand whenever they captured an English archer. Before, Mm. So, you know, it doesn't mean what what people think. It's actually a polite gesture to say, I can still fire my bow. Um, And with some kinds of, you know, talking about the, the atomic bomb, Oppenheimer, of course, directed the Manhattan Project. Very seriously changed his mind about what he'd done. Um, and after Hiroshima is the famous I am become death. That's
1: right. State. Destroyer of worlds, um, right?
0: Destroyer of worlds. Yeah. Quoted from is it the Bhagavad Gita but from the Mahabharata from Hindu scripture. And and he then campaigned against nuclear proliferation, which then happened in this weird way that the space race was kind of the polite end and nuclear arms, you know, and they're massive. I mean, there there have been 1,800 nuclear tests. You're going, why do they have to keep testing this thing? You know? Right. So, And it's, of course, and once they'd found out about fallout, I mean, people, tourists used to go to Las Vegas, put little goggles on so they could watch the tests. You know, It's like, you're all being, oh, radiation sickness, here we go. And I think it's true that everyone alive now probably... Has a little particle of uranium in their body as a consequence of this, which probably it, it may be good, it may be bad. The dosage is, is important. Um and you then get a, I mean, a particular development with the development of nitrate fertilizers, which tremendously, um, you know, it fed a lot more people being able to, to use nitrates for this purpose. But it was also the, the gases used in World War One come from the same guy in the same process. So sometimes, I mean, I've, it's been put to me that there's always a good and a bad end of every process. I don't think that's true. Mm. I, I think that's just an overly simple heuristic. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, you can use a club for hammering nails in, I suppose, as well as for hitting people over the head, but a hammer's much better. Um, then you have a use of technology like the one that was exposed by uh, Edward Snowden, where your cell phone, or in this country, mobile phone, um, can be switched on by an intelligence agency and used as a microphone to listen to you. And that's a little bit of a scary thought. And when it was pointed out that, in fact, uh, Angela uh, Merkel's phone, the, the premier of Germany, was being monitored by US intelligence agencies, uh, Barack Obama made a joke about it, about looking after his friends. I don't want to be looked after in that way, Mm -hmm. really, with people eavesdropping on my conversations. And oh dear, they've been eavesdropping on our conversations since the eighties, when the echelon system was set up here in the UK to monitor all landline phone calls with trigger words. And you start going, and again, artificial intelligence agency. That, that there are these groups of people who are have not really developed adult values. They've not really seen that we either hang together or we hang alone, you know, the, as Benjamin Franklin said. So, yeah. I, I looked at, at this last week, New Scientist actually had a piece about GPT-4, which was packed with goodies because it's got um you know microsoft themselves are talking about it um they believe and this is a quote from a microsoft statement given the breadth and depth of gpt4's capabilities we believe that it could reasonably be viewed as an early yet still incomplete version of an artificial general intelligence system Mm -hmm. and you know, we all, you know, we all saw the, probably saw the, the chat GPT, its predecessor, which was only last month, um, getting into a fight with somebody over about what year it was and telling them they, you know, it's 2022. And, and I'm, you know, I'm gonna come around and beat you up if you keep, and you should apologize to me, you human puny creature for, so we get into this thing where we, we're dealing with consciousness. And what is it we're looking towards? I I've just I haven't read it yet. I'm on my way into it, but I'm a big fan of of the Cambridge psychologist Nicholas Humphrey. He wrote a book called Seeing Red in 2006, which, which was wonderful, which in you know introduced me to this thing called the hard problem of consciousness. What mm-hmm. is consciousness? What do we mean by it? And philosophers of mind have been going round and round for decades trying to work this out. And he says, I don't believe there's any necessary connection between intelligence and sentience. And he then goes on, Daniel Hillis has suggested that the World Wide Web has already become conscious, simply as a consequence of its complexity, only it hasn't deigned to tell us yet. (laughs) Could Could the World Wide Web be hurting? Do we have a duty of care towards it?
1: Well, there's Which an interesting series. The movie series Big Bug of, does get into. Yeah, that's a little interesting series of unfalsifiable claims there, but okay. <laughs> um, but it, you know, I mean, I've,
0: I've it already happened.
1: I, you know, I've I've seriously and just and not joking aside, I have seriously considered or wondered whether we might consider Earth's entire ecosystem as a form of higher consciousness. And and that's not and that's not original thinking to me, Gaia, no. well, yeah, exactly right. Could it be that we could consider, or model, or think about the entire, embody you know all of life, the entire system, and all of the even if we threw in. Um, you know, natural processes that the planet itself engages in—that that, that uh, you know—could we consider that a kind of consciousness or a kind of life, in and of itself? That we are only a tiny part of, or a uh, you know, significant, maybe oversized influence, of, but but size-wise and and all that, right? So I can I can allow myself to go into those kind of flights of of, of imagination or wonderment um, I think that it's very important and I see, and, and and you've addressed this already to a degree where, you know, whole books or whole papers get written on these topics of consciousness and the problem of hard consciousness. And it's like, okay, so we can develop, you know, there's this concept of, well, there could be something that is, um, sentient. And then there's the, the word intelligence. These are these are troublesome words when you actually start trying to break down what they really mean. What do you mean by intelligence versus sentience versus consciousness? And where does ethics come into this into this equation too? Because if you start considering life, uh, consciousness is something we connect with life, not inanimate objects. So if you're talking about building an artificial consciousness... Does that include the concept of morality as part of it, or are we talking about simply a problem-solving matrix that that does it receives inputs and and gives outputs? Is that what we mean by intelligence? Is that what we mean by this artificial consciousness? What exactly are we saying? And this is this is something where there's an awful lot of disagreement, wildly different opinions and ideas. And to my chagrin—I mean, to not maybe chagrin's not the right word—to my horror, I talk to developers directly about this kind of thing. I bring this up, and to a T, every single one of them so far has told me that it has nothing to do with them. It's way above their pay grade, and they're just developing algorithms and working for the companies because they got their bills to pay. And it's just isn't not. It,
0: What's that? At, Nurem- at Nuremberg, when SS men said, "Befehl ist Befehl," orders are orders, it was determined that if you follow an immoral order, you are guilty of a crime. And that puts us in an incredible situation so that in the US where you are in Colorado, for example, it's perfectly legal to use cannabis in this country. Even if somebody, and it's now, a few years ago, finally parliament accepted that there are medicinal medicinal uses of cannabis. Our act of parliament in 1971 said there are none. And that's that because we're judges and we know. Well, so you get this thing. It's like somebody is in this country, say, taking cannabis for, because they have breast cancer. And you know, there are a number of people have stepped forward and said, it put me into remission. It is incredible. And there's no medical research because it's against the law. And you start getting into these moralistic problems, which is like, well, okay, so if a police officer busts somebody who has breast cancer and is using, you know, they're busted for using cannabis and such things did, were happening in the US and have happened, um, then is the police officer guilty of a crime right. under the Nuremberg law? And Is a developer who's saying, well, you know, I helped to build the atomic bomb, and maybe it is true that that bombing one of the hundreds of uninhabited Japanese islands would have been a good way of showing it. Maybe it's also true that Harry Truman, Harry S. Truman, and the S stands for S in his name, I'm told, because his parents thought it would be good if he had an S in the middle of it. Harry S. Truman, in his cabinet minutes, in the decision to drop the atomic bomb, Actually, said we have to show the Russians what we have because the Russians were moving one and a half million troops into Manchuku, or Manchuria, and yeah, which was another reason why the Japanese surrendered. But we have to show the Russians what we've got. That didn't work out korea still happened one of the worst conflicts in history which is almost written out of the history books there was not a single town still standing in north korea after that war not one it was bombed flat and people are wondering why the north koreans are a little untrusting (laughs) um, of everybody but donald trump for some reason um we have got ourselves in into this exactly as you say Not understanding the consequences, which is is why, you know, here's this petition to say let let's stop doing this. But the problem is we can't stop the other guy from doing it. That's right. So, putting some laws there, putting some restraint there. Yes, there should be a moratorium and some very quick working. But none of our governments have, you know, privacy issues on the internet. Um, In the U.S., you've got virtually no protection. You know, we we at we still have the European laws until our government gets rid of them all, um, and and gives us liberty, you know, from from laws and things like that. the The part of it that concerns me when you, you I am opposed to communism. I think it's a silly idea. I am mm-hmm. opposed to socialism. I, it's lovely, but it, while human beings are still unenlightened, it's not going to work. The thug culture will do something. But I'm also opposed to capitalism. The idea that there should be some small number of predatory people who in a democracy have thousands of times more power than you and I, because they can bribe politicians with donations. I'm just appalled. But one of the central doctrines of capitalism, which people don't seem to grasp, is the invisible hand.
1: Mm
0: There's an invisible hand, and as long as you let people trade freely, which none of the Western countries do, we all have sanctions. We all have tariffs. We all have subsidies. In this country, the production of white sugar is supported by the state. And at the same time, we're talking about taxing it so people won't use it. And you're going, what happened to the invisible hand of capitalism? You know, it's obviously become invisible. And with the singularity, there's this invisible hand notion. You know, if I just close my eyes and pray, everything will be fine. If I just pull the blankets over my head, then the monster will go away. And I think this is because humanity in general is childish. The people, yeah. you know, the development of morality, the development, the realize, for me, that consciousness, what's important is the realization there are others it's not just theory of mind that i know they're thinking too but that for me to achieve satisfaction in life there there are two things one is I, I like the pleasures of life i i do like chocolate i admit it i don't like sugar so i eat 85% chocolate it's fantastic you know and it's also very good for you it's very health he- healthy food chocolate it's the sugar that's not healthy but so the little pleasures you know, that keep us going, the little Phillips that perk our day up. That's fantastic. We need that. But if you point yourself at that thrill-seeking, you will become debauched. (laughs) You know, you will pretty soon find that the pleasures don't work anymore. And Well, that's um, right.
1: We become oversaturated, oversated with things. And we've all felt or experienced that when we let ourselves go and then we're sick to our stomach or we're you know, were mm. spent or were otherwise, you know, had too much, too much sensation, too much overload. And we've seen, yeah, and, the, and, 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 and we've seen experiments with other, with monkeys and, and baboons and whatnot, where you give them just way too much of this stuff and eventually they just collapse.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and curiously, I mean, with monkeys that, that, that were, some monkey watchers realised there were three types of monkey in this particular pack. There were ones that when they could get the beer from the tourists would just fall over. There were the ones that took the beer in moderation and the ones that decided the beer wasn't good for them. So even among monkeys, there is some level of appreciation. I believe, however, that our happiness depends upon what we can do for other people. I don't believe in sacrificing ourselves to others' needs, So I fear i have rather done that in my mm, life. Yeah. um it, you know and i you know anybody wants to contribute to patreon I, I don't have a pension beyond my state pension which absolutely does not cover my outgoings but i do feel happy i do feel that my life has been well spent even though i'd rather have been painting pictures and writing novels and i've done a fair amount of that too but and and to, you know let's be unpleasant about it the 600 or so people that i've dealt with directly in their recovery from scientology um, all went away and lived their lives and they didn't help me they didn't contribute anything financially to me i think i've only ever charged money from three three rich people who Mm. were scientologists and wanted to talk to me and this is in a 40-year period but my smugness exceeds all because I look at the life I've led and I don't regret Yeah, the Black Rogers drum kit. I should have had that, you know, but <laughs> that's okay. because i they've got a Roland TD 50X now and that's fan- much better. Fantastic. But I really don't regret anything. I really feel that that it was the right thing to do my best to help people and that virtue is its own punishment. <laughs> and But that, I think that is, that's what I discovered that you know my satisfaction is partly the pleasure i take in the day but partly looking at how can we do something useful for people not convert them to our beliefs you know not be missionaries and force them to give up you know their you know what happened in tahiti say and so many other places where they 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 had something close to paradise there and then syphilis was introduced by the french did I think the development of conscience is an essential here, that, that there is a real problem, that if, if you try and develop a logic engine, something mm-hmm. will do the most logical thing. This, you know, the mythology of the split brain, that uh, because of Gazzaniga's work uh, in cutting the corpus callosum mm-hmm. in epileptic grand mal epileptics to stop them from having fits. And this per- perverse idea, which I believed for a while, uh, because it was so popular that there are two people in here. There is, you know, the the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body and vice versa. And that one side of the brain is, is calculating and analytical and without emotion. And the other side is the soft, nice, lovely side. And the point is that it, you'll only find that kind of thing if you split the corpus callosum. Otherwise, we are integrated systems and right. it's all functioning together. Some people are phlegmatic. They don't seem to have much in the way of emotional reaction there are only a tiny amount of them one set of people are fearless and will you know they really don't care about inflicting pain on others and we call them psychopaths and uh, they're quite dangerous but i don't think they are the cause of evil uh, they are the cause of some evil but i think that it is people who have swallowed the authoritarian mindset, which is either believing they are God's gift and that whatever they have to say is is the right thing, with or without evidence. I mean, it's watching Boris Johnson, the hearing, parliamentary hearing about whether he'd lied deliberately to Parliament about having parties during lockdown. And and he starts trying to tear a strip off the, the head of the committee rather than responding. It right. said that when he was at Eton, the headmaster, in fact, the letter's been read out, so it, it did happen. The headmaster wrote a letter saying that he'd been brought in to be reprimanded for something he'd done wrong. And he was just going, no, why am I not head boy? Why am I not head boy? So people like him, people who believe that they are entitled to be in charge because they believe they have a superior intelligence and they don't. You know, right. they really don't. So that's the one type of person. And the other is the people who believe them. And that, as we've we've talked about this before, about sixty percent of the population. Yeah. Just like, well, I don't know, my opinion's not valid. I'll do what Himmler said, you know, or or whoever their their guru is. The development of personal conscience, growing up to be an adult, developing a self, uh, means that we have to be making moral decisions. And that's been abrogated in, in the technical field. But as exactly. you say, it's not a problem of technological development. It's a problem of what it's going to be used for. And the cynicism, you know, I'm protecting my country, therefore. So, you know, the the MKUltra experiments where one of them was g- having prostitutes give LSD to their uh, clients and watching them. And the guy who ran the experiment had a two-way mirror so he could sit and watch this happening. But he decided he didn't want to miss a minute of it. So he actually sat on a commode watching this. And then, as far as I'm concerned, if you want uh, you know, to have one little metaphor for what is happening in our society, it's the government giving us acid so it can look through a two-way mirror while shitting. That we just seem to be, what the hell are these people doing? And, and I don't care whether they're Democrats, Republicans, Tories, whatever, where is the morality and is it possible, because if it's not possible to have moral politicians, you can forget about having moral AI.
1: Well, exactly, and I, that, I, I think you're nailing the exact crux of the problem. I have, I mentioned a, a few minutes ago how I have interacted with developers uh, who write these systems, who talk about this stuff, or follow it avidly and are very big proponents of it they they want this singularity they want this thing to happen as quickly as possible and you try to introduce these concepts to them and they look at you it is the weirdest feeling because they will look at you and they're you know it's almost like this little head tilt happens and they look at you and go why is that important yeah i don't understand why you're even bringing that up or or you get the other response we've talked about, the magical thinking, where it's like, oh, no, that'll just sort itself out. Mm-hmm. That'll just sort itself out. That's not something we have to worry about, consciousness and ethics and morals and decision-making. No, 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 no. That'll just sort itself out. It's, it's, It's so whistling past the graveyard, for lack of a better term to come to mind yeah. right now. I, I'm I'm shocked and appalled when you, when you face it head-on like this, when you bring up what I consider to be intelligent questions about the very core principles that you're designing, and they blow you off and say it'll either take care of itself or it's just not important. We don't have to understand those things. They're not part of this equation. Hmm. You, you know, you're almost left dumbfounded. You're just, I, how can you be so fucking stupid? How can you, who are so smart, you spend years going to school, you spend years digging into the, into the intricacies of bits and bytes and, and modeling and, and neural networks, and you're a moron. You're an ethical moron. Mm. And the reason I say things like this is because these people can't even define what ethics are, and they're trying to build systems that we are very concerned about the ethical framework in which these systems will be, desi- will be making decisions. How do you program in ethics? Because ethics is a byproduct of an organic process of social hierarchies and emotional responses and social the need for social interaction. Computers don't have those things, and they never will. Unless we program them in. And and we already see in chat GPT-4, the latest and greatest, such overt bias already being programmed into these machines. You can tell a joke about a guy, about a white male. You cannot tell a joke about a black female. <laughs> it, or even a white female. Or, or any female, yeah. yeah. It won't let you. It literally won't let you. Why? Because somebody made that decision for it that it can't and you have to trick it you got to walk around it and work around it and what do human beings do we constantly push 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 at every single weak point in these systems some people out of malice but most people out of just dumbassery i just want to see if i can do it i just want to see what happens you know i just want to see and 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 this kind of thinking that that human beings engage in is the exact problem that none of these coders or venture capitalists acknowledge as a real problem. They just don't want to acknowledge any part of any of that. And yet you're talking about building systems that are amongst the most influential and powerful things that that has ever been presented to humanity. You thought the crossbow was bad. These things are, are literally in the home of every single person who goes online, at, you know, anywhere, and starts starts talking to it, uh, whether we're talking about the AI art or the AI answering things or the search engines or any of this stuff. So you want to talk about taking this to the next level, and it's like, well, what is the next level? Well, we don't know, but it'll sort itself out.
0: And and I think actually your earlier analogy of the longbow becomes very relevant that. The the reason that Longbow was so deadly, I mean, it killed off a third of the nobility of France at, at Agincourt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, it's the same level of slaughter as the First World War, mm-hmm. but it happened in a couple of days, not four years, because there was an agreement and the, the English had broken it. And the agreement was, your knights... Are captured and ransomed, you don't kill knights in battle, and the great sport is you know blipping the the peasants on the head and getting rid of them. They don't matter. And what had happened was a bunch of peasants, given these longbows, could actually kill the knights before they could get anywhere near them, and that broke the rules, yep now, I think that we're at a place where The level of rule setting is like those French knights that people believe, well, everybody will be nice with it. And we're, we're watching Russia and Ukraine. We're watching China developing its power. And again, I've got nothing against the Russian people. You know, I talked with a friend in Russia a couple of months ago and I'm really sorry, and he's really sorry. And I have to be very careful about what I get him to say. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't, we're not. I'm not going to ask him any questions about this because I know how he feels. He's a Christian. He thinks war is wrong, you know? And that's that. But if he says so on, you know, he can join the twenty or 30,000 people who've now been sent to prison in Russia for expressing the opinion that it is a war. Exactly,
1: exactly. Um,
0: And so, you know, where this goes in the future, I can only see that, by people becoming individually responsible, by people complaining about the things that are wrong, voting in politicians who will actually aim at us not destroying all life on earth, that, that this is it becomes a personal responsibility. It becomes, how do I behave? Do I leave my lights on and then complain about, you know, somebody being ecologically unfriendly? do i overuse energy and of course that will shift there there could come a point where we can actually uh, get the photosynthetic process and use it and once we've done that then the amount of energy we use won't matter anymore you know because we won't be reliant on wind turbines and solar and what have you if we knew if we were smart enough to do photosynthesis mm. like like just about any plant can and you don't have to be smart for that i guess the differentiation that um, Nicholas Humphrey makes in the book *Sentience* is between cognitive consciousness and phenomenal consciousness. And he's based what he would call intelligence is cognitive consciousness. You know, the machine can be aware of all the things in the environment, but it does not have phenomenal consciousness, differentiating the qualities of sweetness, of redness the qualia, the things that happen in the mind. And we're getting to a point where if we are to get to artificial general intelligence, machines are going to have to, to some extent, discern qualia, which is where the movie Big Bug becomes very relevant. Right. Jene um, right. has understood this problem and he has machines that want to be loved, you know, and they want to be human. You know, they, they, they want to engage. And i'm not going to spoil it because i think the ending is is really quite beautiful when when you come to it but this this sense of um building a a machine that is that is going to have phenomenal consciousness which would put us to artificial general intelligence um and the difference is i mean edward johns at imperial college london has said that gpt4 is is simply mimicking what humans have done in the past mm-hmm. i don't think he's understood what what's happening here this is not like a neural network that's, you know which have been with us since the 80s um and you know had some involvement i, I was aware of the development of them because my business partner was working for phillips who were developing them and so we saw fuzzy logic you know a washing machine can measure weight the temperature the viscosity of the water and then determine how long to be on for which is great. A neural network can look at how many people are on a railway station at a particular time and work out things about how to you know maximize traffic flow you know and things like that. this is all great. We are now coming to the point and it is made here that um, AI is is prone to hallucination. And so you have this thing where nobody understands because this isn't like doing a Google search. It's not just scanning all the information and offering it to you based upon who's got their search engine optimization working the best or paid the most money to Google or whoever. But it's now actually weaving things together from what it's been told and synthesizing information and it can make things up. It can absolutely make information up just as badly as QAnon. Yes. You
1: know, it, yeah. It can it can synthesize information in what we might describe or perceive or interpret as creative ways. Hmm. It's I mean it's 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 not showing initiative as we would think of life having initiative. But its but its ability to synthesize so many different data points can simulate that in ways that make it almost indistinguishable in 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 certain contexts. I guess is how it works. Yeah,
0: and we're dealing, in fact, with with almost an equivalent of an autistic savant, where you know you can have phenomenal. You know, uh, Kim Peek is the best read human being in the world. Um, he has, you're into the tens of thousands of books that Kim Peake has read. The, the ins- one of the inspirations to The Rain Man, of course. And he can remember accurately 98% of what he's read. And he reads the left page with the left eye and the right page with the right. And you can watch him just turning, the- And yet tying his shoelaces or feeding himself. Hmm, no. And so I think that we've come to a place where so I love the idea that, that there is no self, you know, that the self is, is the 200 brain regions interacting mm-hmm. to make this thing. And I, I wrote a little bit about that in Opening Our Minds, that, that you're dealing with something that's so magnificently three-dimensional that somehow functions in real time. You know, I don't have to think particularly about what I'm going to say. And many people would say, I don't think about what I say. But it just pours forth for all of us. And that to me is just the most, you know, miraculous process that oh, yeah. somehow this thing is doing this. But then you have the sense of certainty, this, this thing that, you know, William James, founding father of psychology um, and a founder of the uh, American and British Societies for Psychical Research, also interesting point. Um, But nonetheless that that he puts forward this idea of noesis this idea that we have feelings of knowing you saw me at toronto give the same example i always give bible basher tells me i I don't understand the bible but i know it's all true what do we mean by knowledge at this point
1: right i don't understand
0: it but i know it i can't get with that but it's how we all behave that feels right to me i will have cognitive dissonance if somebody suggests that my belief in you know the radishes in my garden having magical powers is wrong you know because i know they do i know they're watching me that That's this funny. kind of madness that we experience in dreams i mean i'm very interested at the moment the, the gansfeld effect which we've talked about before where Sensory deprivation means that that you start getting feedback signals. So if you sit and stare at something, meditation, mindfulness, training routine, zero, then you'll start to hallucinate if you have a functioning brain. If you don't hallucinate while you're doing that, there's probably something wrong. But what's happening inside the brain is that rather than having the alpha and beta or beta, depending American or English, waves, alpha or beta waves going on, You've got theta or theta waves going on. You've got a dream state while you're awake, if you stare at stuff. You know, if you sit in a dark room or go in a sensory deprivation chamber. So in fact, your credulity level changes. You know, people say you're more suggestible. That's one way of saying it. That's right. But you'll believe anything. You know, whatever is put to you as the reality of how you were gifted this blissful, euphoric state. Of sitting still, which you really could have done on your own without a guru. Well now the guru is, oh yeah, you know, you gave me this this wonderful magical state. And seeing that we can therefore hallucinate in real time, we can make the world up around us, and of course, we live in our representation of the world, as I'm told Immanuel Kant said.
1: Exactly. That. Exactly. And that
0: means everything is interpreted. If somebody you know was upset by uh some somebody else talking about fossil fuels and they don't like the word fossil and you call them an old fossil or something no if somebody that word triggers them how are you to know that how is you to know you know there are some words and like funeral and death which which tend to trigger reactions in in normal human beings but you know i am friend who walked in, I was playing a Joni Mitchell album, this is like 50 years ago or something, 40 years ago. And, and he said, oh, take that off, please take that off. And I'm like, why? It's, it's pretty, you know, it's nice. He said, oh, I had a, a bad trip listening to, when I was listening to Joni Mitchell album. I said, was it this album? He said, no, but anything Joni Mitchell now, and you're like, what an interesting piece of self-conditioning you've got into. I can't listen to that because it upsets me, because it reminds me of this thing when I got upset. Right. i think it'd be a good idea to deal with that and i'd start probably with wild things run fast or, or travelogue by jenny mitchell to, to get over that but you know, one of the great songwriters in all history no no two ways about it we condition ourselves to respond and then our feelings of knowing our sense of certainty takes over and what happens when machines start getting a sense of certainty because a chat gpt the last iteration certainly seemed to be capable of doing that
1: well that's exactly yeah, that that brings up or is another sort of way of approaching the the problem i'm 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 seeing with this is there's knowledge there's a piece of fa- there's a fact there's a piece of information and a computer to that to a computer it's it's ones and zeros right to us it's 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 some Thing you read, something you see, some some observable experience, right? You've you've input this knowledge and it's and it's a fact. It's not necessarily something you're emotionally invested in. It's simply a fact, right? This board is black or a shade of gray. It's a it's a it's clearly that way. I can perceive it that way. So my brain goes, yep, that's that's the fact of the situation. Well, how do you feel about that? Oh, well. I don't particularly feel anyway about this. Oh, okay, fine. Um, here's a bunch of facts on cards about critical thinking. Oh, well, how do you feel about those? Oh, I feel very strongly about those. Oh, why? Because of their what they're associated with. They're associated with all these other things. And all these other things to the human brain and the human experience, all of these things can have what we... Intangibly and sort of fluidly, call value. They're graded based on what our experience, our education, our social standing, our our ego. Uh, you know, lots of things contribute to what is the value of this thing in the in in various contexts. Even mm-hmm. this will have value in this context. It'll have val- different value in this other context. Every single human being can be said to assign values to facts or to ideas or to interpretations of reality. But what value they're going to assign to all of those different things, I guarantee you, is going to be as unique as our fingerprints from one person to another to another to another. Mm -hmm. And this is where we see this, this incredible multiplicity of 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 human, the variety of human of human reactions to things. Computers, hmm. you give them a set of instructions, a hundred percent of the time they're gonna operate the exact they'll give you the exact output, right? Until hmm. we started coming up with, more recently, black box design. Hmm. Where here comes an input, we don't know what the hell the computer's doing with it. Huh. Out comes the output. And the again, the 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 I have to say, the idiocy surrounding this black box design concept. This is a debated, argued point in computer science. And I don't know that a single psychologist has ever weighed in on this stuff or that they even bother to ask because it's so obviously clear that if you don't understand the process by which that machine is is coming up with its output, how can you ever fact check it reliably how can you ever understand how to use that black box to integrate with other black boxes and have any conception whatsoever of having control or predictability over what the outcomes are going to be you're going to have as few, you're going to have as little ability to predict the outcomes of a system you put together like that as you will To being able to predict the outcomes of a random assortment of people who you ask questions to that's what we call surveying you know we do it all the time why because we're so wildly unpredictable that you never know what you're gonna get and the time and the place the context the events surrounding your surveys are going to have everything to do with informing the results of that survey a survey you do in 1850 that same survey in 1950, that same survey in 2050, going to be completely different results based on the, the, who you're asking and when and why. Hmm. You're going to get that same kind of variety using a bunch of these black box concepts or, or, or mechanisms, and you're not going to understand or be able to predict any of it, and you think this is the way to go about designing systems that are going to control and influence the lives of every person on the planet? Are you out of your mind? And this is the race with which we are, this is the the, the people with which we are compete. where we're talking about here. Where we're like, what are these guys doing? It's, it's irresponsibility to a level that is almost impossible to comprehend because it's so willfully ignorant of what it's doing. and i and and i'm just i'm shocked that this is even like that this is such a such a and and actually i shouldn't say i'm so shocked i'm just so disappointed that this is where the public discourse is at if you go as deep as you can get into it it's well i don't think it's going to be that bad i you know I, I, i i don't really see the problem here and this is kind of the level of discourse on this is 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 depends on who says it oh this is the ceo of of the chat gpt company he must know what he's talking about and you listen to these people and they're talking like what, how we're describing they are completely whistling past every problem that exists that they kind of sort of maybe kind of acknowledge could possibly be a problem but, you know, it'll sort itself out. What's the problem? You know, no big deal.
0: Absolutely the authoritarian mindset. Yeah. And yeah. one of yeah. one of the you know, expressions that I remember from the days of the development of computers in the 70s was GIGO, Garbage in, garbage out. And if you don't know what's going in and you don't know how it's being processed and it this brings us to, to to Boole and Boolean logic, mm. this idea in in philosophy initially that you can create a logical way which is mathematical of solving all problems. Now, it proved to be useless in determining human problems, and it's the basis of computing.
1: <laughs> exactly. And that and it's almost religion and science in terms of the, the apples and oranges of it. Mm and and somehow these guys have the idea that we're going to that we're going to use here's 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 actually one of my most philosophical problems with this and and this comes maybe maybe out of my own ignorance of the deepest levels of philosophy and computer science and ai so i'm willing to be wrong about this but what i see is that there is this the the best model we've got and what we're trying to seem to to replicate is this, is this whole this whole process, the brain, the you know the most complex mechanism that we're aware of in the entire universe. Nothing else even comes close. The number of neurons up here—it's unimaginable. You really can't grok like just how complicated this device is that every single one of us are carrying around with us in our heads. <laughs> it's, it's awe-inspiring. There are more,
0: more processes uh, active in the human brain than there are atoms in the universe. That's one of the things that's often said.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. N-
0: we we don't have ones and zeros. Any neuron can have 200 connections, and it's not a simple off or on. It 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 can be a chemical stimulation, potassium, iodine. There are various simple or it can be a neurochemical stimulation serotonin dopamine these things that people have made ridiculous assertions about for many years very happy to see serotonin melatonin and oxytocin all falling to meta meta analysis in the last year that we don't know what they're doing we thought they were doing this but in fact the infinity of connection is is so great that um yeah in a machine and of course new systems it started with squid systems in the 80s the idea of, of um, bacterial computing which is quietly going ahead so that you don't have to rely simply on ones and zeros and you can get into a more complicated form but you're still all you're doing is speeding the process up so right. you know in in the two-hour exam is one in here that's uh that gpt4 was able to do a What was the exam it took? Um, GPT-4 scored around 80% on the multiple choice components of the US medical licensing exam and 70% on the multi-state bar exam. Um, When when taking a software engineering test job, which is given to job candidates at Amazon, it scored 100% using less than four minutes of the allotted two hours. So you'll speed the process up. But you won't necessarily end up with a da Vinci. You won't oh, necessarily no. end up with, you know, and, and let's say something about da Vinci here, which, which, you know, there are so many things to be said. Um, he only left 13 paintings. His contemporary Titian left 1100. So he was a lazy bugger. Most of what he did ended up being used as military stuff, even though he was a pacifist vegetarian. Um, but he... Yeah, one of the things he had that separated him out there, there are drawings he made of water and it's falling in chunks and it was only by the 1980s that cameras became fast enough to show that he was accurate so occasionally you get a human being who has and all cultures have seen such people the indian and chinese cultures have also had their da vincis but occasionally you get a human being whose brain is functioning in this way they won't necessarily be able to fit in with society. I mean, he, he does seem to have been a little bit Asperger's mm. and unlike Michelangelo, he was caught for being gay and he went on trial for it and managed to get away because patronage, thank God. But nonetheless, that fun, the idea is that these machines are going to be da Vinci's. They, they're going to be able to solve problems that, that, that are beyond our ken, beyond our perception. And the problem is that, you know, what happens when what you get is a dark Da Vinci? What happens when, the, yeah, you with know, the Terminator problem, when the machine goes, well, the thing that's screwing everything up is human beings. Let's get rid of them.
1: And it's not necessarily a, a, a solution that that is so <laughs> difficult to understand, considering that all of us have had our nihilistic moments. All of us have had our moments of despair and and even suicidal ideation, where we're like. Look, it really is the best solution to just stop solving problems. To just stop everything. Um,
0: Let let me just let let me just insert a little point there for any of our our viewers who are feeling suicidal and um, that, uh, yeah, as I was uh, under severe attack and pressure for many years, suicidal ideation was something I lived with for years that like you know i'm being sued i'm being harassed i'm being followed my friends are being turned against me and and you know doing horrible things to me yeah you know, what is the point that people i help uh, have no concern for my well-being you know what is the point and luckily quite early on in this i read what buckminster fuller had to say the one again a da vinci of of, of his yes. time yes um he- the geodesic dome and what proved to be the uh the structure of the buckyball, carbon-60, the third form of carbon, which is so important in the modern world. But but, Mr. Fuller, if I've remembered rightly, and Spike is there to correct me if I don't, thankfully, uh, his wife and child died. And uh, so it was a young man. And he decided to kill himself. And he came to a resolve, which always saved me, which is the only noble way to kill yourself is to go on living and to do the best you can for humanity yeah and all of his great work came after that decision that he would his suicide would be by living the whole of his life as fully as possible now as a, as a much older man with no suicidal ideation no scrap of it left and a you know very happy marriage um and you know pretty much getting on with life you know I'm I've got enough to eat and I live in a nice house and Um, I really enjoy my life, having come away from all of that. And it, it seems a result of that. It seems a consequence of going, just hold on, keep on going, and put things as right as you can. Look after your health. Don't do anything to harm yourself, including thinking nasty things about yourself. Don't be unrealistic in that accept criticism and think about it but don't become dejected just because some troll is in a flame war with you or what have you which you know we you and i have had to suffer rather too frequently i fear when you feel that way just pick yourself up dust yourself off and start all over again so that's just a little note for anybody who's watching this you know it you know we we live with we live with pain and we live with distress. But as Schopenhauer said, having proven philosophically that that life is a waste of time, I am now going to tell you how to be happy. And he wrote this little book about-
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: And his solution quite simply, and you don't need, it's a short book. Um, and the only one by Schopenhauer that I've read because the rest are just like turgid. Uh, brilliant though he was. The, the advice is the life of the mind, you know, Use Stephen Hawking as, as the example of of a successful human being, somebody who is, can just twitch one muscle, but was not unhappy, you know, because he lived in his mind and made incredible contributions to humanity. You know, the first right. theoretical uh, proof of the Big Bang while he was still a student. You know, what happens if two black holes c- collide? Can energy come out? You know, incredible. Uh, there's a documentary um I think it 's called the theory of me um where he which spike will doubtless find where and it 's so it 's such a positive remarkable thing him talking about who he is and how he lives, and you get into just how incredibly difficult it was you know that this this man who demanded that his graduate students take care of him physically if you wanted to work with him, you had to be willing to clean him up and do stuff which is quite a thought but he pushed physics forward um and you know is the einstein of his generation really the the big name of Absolutely. science Absolutely. and well, so it it's not about the loss it's not about the despair it's not about the pain it's about having the life of the mind and having friends you know having contact with people this Seems irrelevant until we bring it back to um, what happens to the computer when it realizes it hasn't got any friends? You
1: know. Well, I'll tell you, there's a yeah, I, You know, you're absolutely. I was exactly where I was going to go. Is you go okay? So all these idiots who who are who are madly racing to, you know, try to simulate this and try to simulate this and us cuz I I point to the brain but the fact is it's a complete system. The it's mind. the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about a mind, you're talking about the whole body. I mean, you've got this whole neural network down here in your gut as well and you've got, you know, you've got the whole system and the whole system. I, I
0: think the the mind goes into the environment as well. well I, was I, say, I think that, you know, it's yeah. great fun. Yeah
1: exactly because it's it's hard to tell you know in a conversation like this or in any kind of social interactions where do i end and you begin when we're mm. feeding off each other and when your yeah. thoughts are 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 inspiring mine and mine are inspiring yours and the back yeah. and forth that everybody enjoys in podcasts w- what's that all about well it's all of us kind of collectively minding you mm. know so so these are these are not just philosophical questions that don't that are that kind of sit in an ivory tower and people can wonder how many angels are dancing on the head of a pen these are questions that are of very very important priority to understand if you're trying to replicate this Hmm. and we only want to replicate part of it and then we say the rest of it will take care of itself and you're like no that's not how any of this works bozo you know, this is a predictive device, the, the brain. It's, it's, trying to, it's trying to predict. It's not just trying to calculate. It's hmm. not an HP calculator. That's not what's going on up here. These answers only have value to the degree that they predict what's going to happen next. Do computers and How do can that? I get
0: out of the way of it?
1: Well, yeah. And are, are computers, are, are AI trying to do that? Do they even understand that that's what that's what drives intelligence? That that's what drives life forward? I don't think they do. And every time again, you try to bring this up, they just blow you off like you're an idiot. It's mind-boggling. So let's say, and 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 given the vast, vast complexity of this neural network or this system, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're still years away from even coming close to replicating up even a small fraction of what's going on in our gray matter. But let's say that some kind of big breakthrough happens and somehow either through some collective server farm of, you know, a vast resource an emergent property occurs and this thing called consciousness or self-awareness Suddenly, were to emerge out of this system, would you know, would it even begin to approximate what our experience of self awareness? Well, of course, it wouldn't, because how could it possibly have any sense of frailty? or an inability to survive the way we do, right? You take us a mile up or a mile down and we're screwed, right? You take a computer system isn't going to be thinking that way. It's a fixed thing. It's not even moving around. Let's say you give it mobility. Will it? What will its value set be based on its needs? What needs would it have? How would it perceive its needs? We're talking about a system of a, a, a form of life that's inconceivable to us because the, the, it's, it's operating pattern, so to speak. I, I struggle for words here. You know, I don't want get, to get weird. It's operating matrix, right? But like what what is it that it values? What is it that it sees as important? What is it trying to predict? Is that even part of that system or have we created a whole different kind of life That operates on a set of principles that we would not even be able to comprehend because the very model of its existence is so different from what our model of existence is. We do not have infinite longevity. We do not have uh, imperviousness to our environment or to lots and lots of other factors that the computer system, it's just not going to have to worry about those things. It doesn't yeah, have it, to feed itself. It doesn't have to worry about the problems of relationships, <laughs> right? We do. So mm. if we model all of this after us, but we're only
0: halfway successful, what does that look like? Uh, Rutger Hauer in Blade Runner. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Yeah. You know, oh, I have a... seen the death of a thousand <laughs> yes. stars, that incredible dramatic moment. Yes, uh, yes. It, I, I, I just, you, you, you t- said um, collectively minding, I just love that. That's the most poetic thing I've heard, That's we are collectively minding, I, I, yes. let's do that, yes. it's great. Yes. Um, and will AI come to the point where it appreciates music? You know, will the computer base, the singularity go offline and collapse everything? So it can listen to, I don't know, Sibelius's Seventh Symphony, right? Um, which is a very good thing to listen to. The, and can its logic, you know, what? one of the things, the thing that attracted me to Ron Hubbard and Scientology was the book Science of Survival, which is the closest to sensible that Scientology ever gets, mm. and of course it was written by Richard DeMille from Hubbard's little notes, his little green discs of alcoholic reverie, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of it, he he lifts um, Count Alfred Korzybski's infinity-valued logic, which I never saw anywhere else in Scientology, but you've got the will of God, then you've got right and wrong two-valued logic, and then this infinity-valued logic, And because you eventually realize that Scientology is the worst form, it's the will of Ron that's right you know if if to be totally self-determined you have to do exactly what i say but that infinity value logic is that's a really that is the complex process that the human mind can almost cope with but we can see it's not black white or 50 shades of gray in between there are at least eighty colors that's what i was taught when i was at college i'm told there are more now but um that that the normal human eye can differentiate 80,000 different hues chromatic values shades tones what have you That's right. and it means something to us um the other movie that came to mind was um george lucas's first movie thx1138 um which i think is a masterpiece beyond anything else he did mm. i really do think you know it's an incredible film though very simple. He made a student project of it and then Coppola funded him to do it. And there's a point where the protagonist, who's a little bit desolate, sits down in the therapy machine. And the machine, I I haven't seen this for 40 years, but it says something like, you are one with the people. And it just keeps pouring out these sort of truisms and then offers him a pill which is i can't remember whether it's a blue pill or a red pill but i don't take the pill people just don't take it yeah, right to... <laughs> you
1: know.
0: um, but that sort of idea that you could reduce a human being to that or the soma of aldous huxley that that's right that we are we are wonderful you know the my mum who's a, a blessed creature and, and quite marvelous and very straightforward in her thinking unlike me and, and she'd quote this thing, you know, ends with only man is vile, you know, about how rotten human beings are. And I'd kind of go, well, male tigers will eat their own young, so it's not just us. Mm. Um, <laughs> but the other part is Gothic cathedrals. Um, Rembrandt, Da Vinci, um, Rodin, the Sibelius, uh, Stravinsky, uh, Duke Ellington, you know, Jimi Hendrix, just there is a torrent and you can actually use torrent to download this there is a torrent of human creativity i i have i don't know i I don't count but between two and three thousand cds of music i I have a ridiculous collection starting with medieval music and working its way up to stuff that you know was made last week i am and I'm going, I'll never catch up. There has been too much beauty and wonder created by human beings for me to experience it all. And I'll suddenly find something, you know, I remember I was, I was at it was Southwestern in LA in, I think, 1991, and I walk into this room and there's weichol yarn art. Um, Where have we got? We've got some weichol pieces because uh, I became, these people live in Mexico and they, um, they make these beautiful psychedelic things after their mescaline trips. Mm. And I walked into that room and went, where did this come from? How could this whole art have been created without my knowing? And all around the world, there are people making these things. Uh, John Sladek, the brilliant science fiction author, um, said that uh, in in one of his author bios, that, that he looked forward to the time when computers would be able to this is in the 70s when computers would be able to 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 write poetry and compose music and paint pictures so that humans could return to the really important things of life like adding up numbers (laughs) right i haven't seen any computer art that that made me feel in the slightest bit enthusiastic not yet and i've seen a fair amount of it and you know the non-fungible tokens and all of this But when I was in the Prado in Madrid and stood in front of um, Velázquez's crucifixion, I couldn't move. I wept. And I'm not a Christian. It wasn't about that. It was, how how could a human being make something this brilliant, you know, this expressive? An experience that I'm fortunate to have had many, many times in my life. And I wonder, you know,
1: I think you're touching on something we haven't mentioned yet that has got to be included in this conversation. Mm, please. We've talked around emotions, prediction, brain function, right? The complexities, the emergence of morality and where that comes from and why it's so structured mm-hmm. around all, the, all of our systems. Awe. Awe. How does an AI ever, or would it, could it, should it even experience awe? Because what you—that's exactly what you're describing. It's an emotional impact, and it's a, its its represented by, you know, certain chemical processes in the brain. But is it reduced to chemical processes in the brain? No, hell, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is far more to that experience. Um, in a way, it's a you know another reflection of that you know collective minds, right it's 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 because it's, it's not something one generally experiences in a solo <laughs> situation right you don't sit there and suddenly i'm so awe inspired by myself right it's generally an ex- well a,
0: i think there are a few you know. people <laughs> not think, mentioning any names
1: yeah fair enough
0: fair enough i am so beautiful
1: yes the one is. thing <laughs> that
0: people don't know about me is that i am really humble.
1: I wonder if you couldn't define narcissism as somebody who's capable of a self, of a solo awe experience. You know, I I, I wouldn't go that far, but I still think that's kind of funny.
0: Well, let, let's give let's give the first definition of it before Freud, who was a bit of a pervert because he believed that you know his mum had he, he wanted to have it away with his mum and kill his dad, who was going to chop his knackers off. So he was a bit of a pervert, but he took Havelock Ellis's definition of narcissism, which I think is absolutely accurate, and I think we talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Havelock Ellis said, a narcissist is somebody who masturbates all day and does not want to have sex with another person. (laughs) And I think, and of course the people, you know, we think have agreed on Eric Fromm's definition, Mm -hmm. where he dismisses Freud and says, no, a, a narcissist is a person who does not feel love and who needs adulation. To feel that they have a self at all and the, the the wider problem is which he does touch on that's the majority of people some of them are malignant narcissists and i'm really into this at the moment this this new classification that i'm developing some of them are benign narcissists they don't hurt us at all and some of them are benevolent narcissists you know so elton john David, I was watching a a documentary about Taylor Swift, and I tremendously admire this woman. I I don't particularly like her music. It it doesn't appeal to me. Um, And it it would be a bit pervy if I was watching a young woman displaying herself in that way, I think, you know, and um, that that doesn't really interest me. But I think she is an incredible talent, Mm -hmm. you know, just phenomenal talent. Mm -hmm. And then I start watching this documentary where she's saying, for as long as i can remember i need people to admire me and you go oh you poor thing yes you know give me a call let's see if we can try and sort that out you know you've got enough money to afford my services
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i i could not agree more i think that um but i but i think that there's a i think there's a lot I think there really is a lot of concentric circles that come out from, uh, you know, the influence or the consequences of the fact that we can experience awe, you know, and the euphoric experience that comes with that, the emotional satisfactions and layers.
0: Experience. of experience. Yeah, the no.
1: pleasure that we get or derive from that can be unlike anything else in the human experience that so we you know we've, we 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 we've talked about this so much in terms of how people can be manipulated into such an experience and then through the interpretation of that experience be led into a belief set that is absolutely bonkers that's not that's the bad end of it that's a that's a bad consequence of of an awe experience but the awe experience itself the oh my god right that is almost Univ- I would say, I don't think it's any stretch to say that's almost universally the, the goal of living You know, is to have those kind of experiences because are those not the instances or memories that we cherish, that we hold on to, and for addicts, are those not the experiences that they are continuing to chase after? It, you know, must get that back. I want that back. I need more of that. And we and we there's all kinds of moral judgments that happen as a result of that. and you know how you your life should be good enough anyway, and you don't need any of that bullshit. we We all need those moments. They are the things that are almost life defining for us in some ways. And we identify so closely with them. so they are powerful, powerful experiences. And could we? Without that, I guess where I'm going is if we took all that away, would we not have the 1984 life, the experience of drudgery and nothing, and there is no value, there is nothing to look forward to. You can predict a life of utter mediocrity and slavery because you're going to take all those experiences away from people and say they – are not important, aren't valuable, and you don't deserve them or you don't get them or they're not even, or even worse than you don't deserve them is you don't need them. They're not important. They don't belong in your life. Mm -hmm. What value does life have if you take that away? And does that not inform all of our ethics and all of our ability to empathize and get along with others? I, you know, this is powerful stuff. I think, and so I'm glad, you know, that we've kind of come to that part.
0: In, and it's a, it's an essential. I mean, of course, we're we're wandering into the territory that that, that our friend Yuval Laor has, you know, is deeply exploring. Yeah. And um, in fact, you and I met on the same day that we met Yuval in, right. in Toronto in June 2015. Happy day, and um i when i first looked at, at his wonderful brilliant ideas of fitting together the contemporary view of evolution not the old boring dawkins where we're all just replicating our genes because we're not replicating our genes we're changing them all the time yeah. they're not read only as as yuval says we can write on our genes and, and change things epigenetics has has been soundly proven by now we also have cultural transmission the fourth dynamic uh, fourth dimension of Um, his mentor, Ava model of evolution, that we can pass ideas on. And they're not memes, they're not self-replicating, they're not the same idea never changes. You know, Even down to quotations from Shakespeare, when you say all that glitters isn't gold, that's not what he said. He said all that glisters isn't gold. And I don't know what glistering is, but it isn't golden, apparently. But when I first met him and looked at the model, all of his Ideas are evolutionary based upon family connection. And the thing that seemed to me to be absent was infatuation. Mm. That this doesn't have a model in, well, you're my brother, so I feel this way, or you're my child and I feel this way, or, you know, I'm a teenager. You know, so he has this brilliant structure. And we talked about that and he very rapidly went off, studied limerence, as some psychologists call it. But that idea of something new, something um that will give us a a buzz it does trap people and you know we might spend a couple of minutes here because i'd intended to do this because Yuval has said that he hasn't you know he's got a model of how people um become convinced of scientology but he doesn't have any examples which i thought was really weird because i could immediately think of five books including my own where people talk about that's right that's their- right peak experiences in in Scientology. But, and I told him when I left, um, I just got curious. We could talk about this stuff now. We weren't forbidden from talking about our experiences anymore. Uh, We didn't have to pretend that we had supernatural powers or any of that rubbish. And for fully a year, meeting hundreds of former members, because that was the most intense period for me of meeting ex-members, I would ask time and time again what was it that convinced you that Scientology was was right and generally what people would say in fact there were only two answers that I remember from that whole period one of that they did training routine zero and they had a a weird euphoric experience and the other was they'd have had a book one yeah uh, a, a session a, a session based on the original version of Dianetics, which Hubbard, of course, canceled because it was hypnotic in 1951. He said, you mustn't do this. But then in 1977, back it came. So it, it, they're, in both cases, they are experiences that people would describe as trans experiences. Um, I don't like that word. People would call them altered states. For me, they're just states. They're not al- There's no altering going on because there's no base state that we return to. So we have lots of different states. So Here's a question for you, which is completely nothing to do with with this. The points of peak experience in Scientology, can can you remember, going back, a point of euphoria that derived from either the study of Scientology or from a, a process or procedure in Scientology?
1: I can recall many of them, yeah.
0: Well... Give, give me one and we'll move to the beginning of the oh, incident sure. tell me when you're there. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Uh, okay, good. Yeah, move to the beginning of the incident and tell me when you're there. Um, I remember one time having an auditing session and uh, being absolutely blown uh, away by a, a memory that I was having of something from millions of years ago. It had to involve space and my conception of Uh, a really, 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 really big space uh, Mm -hmm. or chunk of space that I was occupying or aware of and feeling feeling amazed and awe-stricken by it in the memory and then duplicating that now was kind of how I modeled Mm it. I could feel the hair on my arms standing you know i could feel a ripulation.
0: yeah a I,
1: I i called it that and that was also by the way just uh you know I, I never popped out of my head in scientology i never saw myself from a corner of the room as many people talk about i've only
0: have, i've only actually met two people who under questioning really claimed that
1: Right. I don't. Yeah, I did not think it was that they
0: felt as if they were outside of the head, but they couldn't perceive from the outside. Uh, Otto Rose, who was the only uh, OT8 until 1988 uh, and one of the five class 12s trained by Hubbard, top level. He told me he had one instance. And while he was out of his body, he saw the ship, the Apollo split in two. So I'm thinking there might have been a certain degree of hallucination. Sense, and I, I, yeah. I, Ingo Swan, who was part of the CIA Spoonbenders, psychic absolute nonsense. Yeah. He said he he could do that, but um, well, he I fear that he, but he could do it before he got into Scientology. And the other person I talked to also said that she'd, the reason she got into Scientology is because she'd previously done that. So the exteriorization thing is, is one of the great Scientology myths. Having talked to more than a thousand people who are involved, yeah, but, exactly. Okay, I too have had that that sense of 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 as a self occupying an enormous space, mm-hmm. um, which did come about um, when I was having auditing in Manchester in what like nineteen eighty or something when I was doing the Class Two course, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's so utterly subjective. And it is just that you feel utterly elated, euphoric. In fact, we might even use the word ecstatic, which means to stand beside yourself. Uh ecstasis, literally. Oh. But yeah, it's a weird one, that isn't it? Yeah. Um exhilarated, all those good, exuberant, all those E words, yes. you know. There. Yes. Um That okay. was the that was and, 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 and only another, thing... I like that.
1: That was the only thing I could interpret in Scientology as an exteriorization moment. Yeah. Is I would feel slightly larger than my body.
0: Yeah. And as Hubbard said that the, the people get it the wrong way around. The the body is like a splinter yes. in the thumb, yeah. which is the Thetan. That's right. And you know, a hypnotic effect possibly. Certainly um I haven't seen any use come come of it. I haven't You know um like you know predicting what the stock exchange would do or what what horse is going to win the race or something useful but yeah i I like that one give me give me another one eh? if you've got another one in (laughs) there oh
1: sure yeah i can tell you another one um there was an there was an early session i had as when i was still let's see was i a public no i was a staff member i was in santa barbara and there was a student who was doing his New Era Dianetics uh, auditor course. And so he had to do some practice sessions of what is called New Era Dianetics, which was a development of uh, Dianetics where they use the e-meter. And uh, that's where they return to the beginning of the incident. Tell me when you're there. There's a whole set of commands and all that. So I was getting yeah. this auditing. and uh, I, I, did,
0: I did train on that course. I am fully trained in doing that if you'd like to do it afterwards
1: oh yeah absolutely yeah let's do some r3r so um i did the so i received some dianetics auditing Mm. this was the first time i'd ever had metered dianetics auditing and it was really amazing and blah 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 Well, I have this uh, session where I run out some past life thing of getting my eyes stabbed out or something because I was keen, I was super keen to get rid of the glasses and I had read and seen and heard. That there had been a barrel of glasses that had been discarded by Scientologists in Phoenix back in the day and Hubbard had processes for this and I read those processes because I wanted to know how to do it and I, wanted, I really wanted my eyes fixed. So that was one of the and 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 there were some sessions. There's some kind of auditing you do where you establish goals for the session. You actually, what's your goal for the session, right? And mine was, I want to improve my eyesight. Well, sure enough, we end up running this incident, and I'm getting a spear through my eye or some bullshit. And I, um, the 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 end result of this of of running the engrams on this and going past life was to feel like doing oh something's changed and suddenly Mm -hmm. everything in the room and by the way i've had this exact same experience while high on cannabis so Mm -hmm. this ain't anything legal where you are yeah it's (laughs) this this isn't anything special i've had this many many times Mm -hmm. other ways but this was Mm -hmm. the first time i'd ever experienced it with auditing as a teenager or as a young man and I felt the room, the clarity of the room changed. I could, I could, literally things came into focus differently. Mm -hmm. And I even took my glasses off and was like, oh my God, like I can see better, not perfectly, but I could see better. Mm -hmm. That lasted for about an hour, by the way. And this awe experience, this, oh, Right. Because that was how I would sort of have those moments of cognition would be, oh, Mm -hmm. I get it now. Right. And I loved having those things. It was like the sudden realization of, oh, that's why or this kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was never a logical thing. It was always some experiential thing, some anecdotal thing. And I was blown out of my head, right? And we had to end the session because it was a persistent floating needle, cause I was so happy because the room had gotten clearer. And I was thought and I really thought for a very brief period of time there after that session that we'd actually cured something, that we'd mm-hmm. actually move the needle on on making my eyes better. And like I said, it lasted for about an hour and then it was over. But that that's what
0: happened. Yeah. I mean, just for, for for our audience uh, let's make it clear that ron hubbard never overcame his short-sightedness and wore spectacles to the end <laughs> of his life right. um and the story i know about the collecting spectacles yeah that i think the story was told about phoenix and there are no witnesses to it um so that's what early 52 mm-hmm. when he's bringing scientology down by the end of the year um he's in Philadelphia. And the head of the Hubbard Association of Scientologists, Helen O'Brien, in her remarkable book, Dianetics in Limbo, um, in terms of first-hand accounts of Hubbard and of um, poignant biographies, it, it it's an incredible book. And it, I don't think it's ever been printed. I, I There's a copy in the Library of Congress, which I, I had a copy from that, but Helen actually sent me a copy of of the whole manuscript and, and maybe among the thousand projects i have to do publishing that book would be among them because she was right there the philadelphia doctorate course was run by her and she points out there were 38 people on it that's how massive his following was by by that time that's yeah. that's all he'd got you know um but they put um a goldfish bowl on the counter for people to put their their spectacles in as a consequence of auditing. And she said, by the time they closed down, um, nobody had put their spectacles in it. It, you know, these inc- wonderful, incredible myths, that, yes. um, sadly, independent Scientologists, you know, hang on. I was, I, was, I got onto a site the other day where there were free downloads of various Hubbard material, I think all of which have been all over the place for a long time and they'd said something about the list processors list 11 and 12 these wonderful things and um they'd got you know so and oh they they somebody's actually collected them and and i can have a look at them and no what it was was an ad so you could go and buy this stuff from them and it was the old breaking the chains illustration you know and oh dear you know having Having interviewed Karen De La Carrier, one of only eight people trained at the highest level in Scientology, the class 12 case supervisor, and hearing her repeatedly just completely dismiss this, you know, and talk about the 200 Jesuses she met over her 46 right. years. You know, having been the top auditor and going, it's just not true, any of it, no supernatural powers, very sorry, be nice to believe these things. But the feelings of knowing, the sense of certainty. For me, you see, I, I when I, Yuval and I talk pretty much every week. We, you know, he's we traveled to conferences together. We've gone on holiday together. He's stayed here in my house. He is, you know, I don't have a, a closer friend than, than than Yuval. He's absolutely wonderful. But I was interested from the start to say, you know, I didn't get into Scientology through a an awe experience or or a peak experience, as I would call them in in my talks before meeting him um i got in because i was offered a solution to a problem Mm -hmm. and in talking to my other very close friend christian shirko um he said he's yet to meet a scientologist who got in through a conversion experience that the people he's dealt with and he's dealt with hundreds it would be that they got a problem you know their marriage wasn't working or they weren't earning enough money or or their business was failing or, or what have you And Scientology would offer a solution to that problem. The peak experience came later. And certainly for me, it was months. You know, I read Mm -hmm. Science of Survival in December 1974, read Dianetics, moved to, you know, within a few weeks, I'd moved into the house where the staff at the the Mosley Mission were. But the head of the Mosley mission, Stephanie Ryburn, had gone to America to work out how on earth they were making so much money, (laughs) you know, Kingsley Wimbush and uh, martin samuels and bent corydon were making swathes of money and they weren't in birmingham they were just struggling along with all of their staff members claiming social security to get by so but she said you can't hire anybody while i'm gone so i didn't join staff i was saved but yeah. i went and lived with the wonderful wonderful people who were on staff there um and it was so, I, you know, I threw myself into this thing, but it was probably about six months in before when I was doing the Hubbard Qualified Scientologist course. Um, during uh, the first, it was a self-analysis session, um, which is was done without an e-meter. And you, and you just, it's called straight wire. You're not looking for engrams. You're not looking for the, the nasty stuff. You're looking for pleasant memories. And I suddenly, I'm sat there and I start sweating. And I've in my mind, I absolutely know that I'm in Judea around the time of Christ. Um, I also know that I, I didn't have any sense that I was, you know, the, the Nazarene. Um, or indeed that I met him. Just this sense of being in that place at that time. Mm. And it was so... You know, Yuval talks about things being really real in in these experiences, and it was it was more real. The the colours in the room were brighter. You know the that that great list of hypnotic effects that Hubbard gives. Um, and you feel bigger, you feel more. Um, you know something something very important is 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 going on. So, I do believe you know connecting back to what what you were saying before that that infatuation that um briefly among the the german countercult movement the word neugier came up um an addiction to newness Mm. sadly the word didn't stick um they also had "geblist," you know being blissed out i thought that was quite funky too i don't speak german don't get me wrong so i just like the sound of these words but that is such an important component as you serve our lives and you get inversions of it the demand for purity can become puritanical so that you've got people you know when you see the opus day people kind of um self-mortifying by you know wearing bobbed wire underpants or whatever that they haven't got that psychology after Sascha von Massach understood that you can actually stimulate pleasure responses by causing pain And so they're actually being rather pervy. They're Mm. not really submitting themselves to, you know, Christ or anything like that. That's right. So people develop a sense of of reward. And I do think it's important to separate this out from dopamine and serotonin and and the pretense that we understand what is going on in what you so correctly term the mind, not the brain, what is going on. Those things that reward us, those things that, that we feel are worth having. One of the things I especially noticed after I left Scientology, because I stopped believing a few months after leaving, I just went, this is just nonsense. Mm-hmm. Why on earth was I such a fool as to believe this, you know? And um, it, this this idea that I started getting that there were auditing junkies. Yeah. And it was an easy comparative to make because when I talk to people about their drug experiences, for the most part, they say, Oh, I wish I could get as high as I did the first time. You know, they the first time I took acid, it did this. And I've been trying to get back to it. Heroin probably That's much right. more so. Don't don't have any experience with that, despite Scientology saying I was a heroin addict, got involved. It's bloody news to me, I tell you. But uh, that that was in a court over you know, the Russell Miller case. It was suddenly put they'd got me off drugs. And it was like, got me off drugs. I came in and uh, was asked if I I used any drugs and said, yeah, I smoke cannabis. And they said, um, well, you can't do that and have auditing. So I stopped. And for 12 years, you know, which was in fact three years after leaving, I abstained. Um, And that's how they got me off drugs. And and there they're going around saying, oh, he's a heroin addict, you know, he was like, that's that's what he was like, you know, but it's not true. Well, yeah. People will define their pleasure in their own way. So for some people, the masochistic pleasures, you know, people who um, isolate themselves from other human beings and then have hallucinations, you know, The Temptation of St. Anthony by Hieronymus Bosch is a pretty good example of what can go wrong with that one. People who fast for days to induce hallucinations. People who do things that appear to be puritanical but are actually giving them their jollies. You know, they're actually, they have a response of, yeah, I'm getting high because, I'm getting an erection because I'm not allowed to have sex. You know, I, I think that balance is so difficult as of course we have seen recently in quite a number of Christian churches. I mean, in Portugal, I think it was only February that, so 4,600 cases of abuse by Catholic priests.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Australia was 8,000. In the australian and the anglican church the baptists the methodists the jehovah's witnesses one sect after another we found out are because of their puritanism they're actually developing anti-social behaviors because people want to get their jollies we we want to have some fun
1: you know the song said it's not just
0: girls just want to have fun. Boys <laughs> want to have fun too, you know. And I'm sure that trans people want to have fun as well. Well, um, human beings, period, right? It's Yeah, pro- it, probably most kind of animals prefer to have fun. I don't know about earthworms, you know. I don't Well, know it, it's be,
1: but... and it and it is uh absolutely an outgrowth of our, you know, what tells us, what tells our brain, what tells our life that we're succeeding, that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. These kind of experiences, these peak experiences, these are the goals. These are the mind, the milestones along the road that we go, oh, yeah, that was that's what this is all. That's what life's all about. And it's not just on drugs I'm talking about or in stupid oh, no. auditing sessions. It's concerts. It's taking hikes. It's going to the beach. It's, it's falling in love. It's so many things. I mean, there's not – well, there probably are a bunch of parents who who don't – necessarily think this, but I believe by far the majority experience of, of becoming a parent is one of those moments. It's, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm told I, I wasn't, I didn't have the, 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 uh, experience of being there when my son was born. I did get to meet him and believe me when I did, even as an adult, it was mind bogglingly amazing as an experience. But I'm told, you know, to be there when your baby is like right there is like there's this feeling of overwhelming love. It's unreasonable. It's irrational. It is. And you know, you would die for this little thing. You would just everything about you is now about this little creature. Right. So so clearly we are tuned biologically to 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 have these things. And yet. Again, kind of circling back now to the whole point of our podcast today, you try to talk to programmers about this and they're like, yeah, eh, it doesn't matter. I don't have to know anything about any of that in order to train in will and intention and desire. And they keep going to this negative place. Well, what if they... Come up with you know what if the you know with the singularity happens and all these instructions these massive layers and layers and layers of instructions that we're feeding into these computers somehow an emergent property occurs of consciousness and let's not talk about what that is because we don't know but let's say it happens and suddenly this thing desire it, it develops a will an in, an initiative a an, a an ability to to manifest intent. Hmm that goes beyond any one level of its programming and that's what an emergent property would be right yes. and yes. let's say that happens well without awe without emotional temperament or you know the ability to recognize a a position and perspective because we all think we're all that until we get amongst other people and suddenly realize we're not and it's like, oh, that's it. that's we call that humility, humbleness, a perspective. But it's it's just another way of thinking about reality. Well, does is a machine ever going to think that? Could it think that? Are these important questions? Yeah, I kind of think they are because that's what enables us to not hit the button. We've had the. Atomic weapons and the and the you know the the hydrogen weapons for decades now we've come real close a couple times but how come we haven't hit that button because of these factors absolutely and, guaranteed and that, that you know there's
0: an actual instance so what about 1983 when um, there were troop maneuvers on the the borders of the Warsaw Pact countries by the Western Allies NATO. And there was a freak atmospheric disturbance, which was registered by a Russian mm-hmm. station as being a nuclear strike. Yep. And the colonel who was in charge decided not to do anything. Now, he, he lost his job, he was fired, and then he was awarded all sorts of medals <laughs> by other countries because right. if he had hit the button, then it was just a freak atmospheric disturbance. Really clever of NATO to have, you know, maneuvers on the bloody border and stimulate the thing. But yeah, and, and what you say, I mean, I was present when all four of my children were born, and it's an incredible moment. And I remember with my firstborn that um my mind changed that right. I, I have been against capital punishment all of my life. But I realized that if anybody harmed this creature, I would kill them. Yep. I wouldn't wait for anybody else to do it. And that was so much against my ethics. Uh, as, as Yuval points out, when um people, you know, would go to China and adopt a baby or Romania or whatever and adopt a baby, frequently it would be said, how did the person giving us this baby know that this would be just the right baby for us? Right. You know, that love reaction is is so intense. That's right. And yeah, we we it we want I think we want, you know, part of our experience is to have that infatuation that joy that sense of awe the peak experience but i think there's also the routine experience you know that that of the small pleasures like the 85 chocolate that's right you know or a cup, cup of coffee sadly that you know m- my digestion doesn't respond well to coffee it's i think it's the only thing now i've, I've had decades of you know I, I couldn't drink alcohol for 20 years because it upset me immediately <laughs> it's like it's no fun, is it? Now I, I I can and it's okay and and I don't really want to particularly, you know. But that you know, coffee is is a thing that's still difficult for me for some unknown reason. But I really get it because I really used to love coffee. That you know, if somebody has that small repeated pleasure. It's not an awe experience, but it's something safe and comfortable in life that you know you can have a slice of pizza. Uh, I can't because I'm gluten intolerant <laughs> but you know have a slice of pizza or what whatever that that is making life good and then if you sometimes you know I have the great good fortune uh, said to be very happily married and my wife and I came to a decision that that we would seek to spend a day of the week together or most of the day because we have different sleep schedules every week And that that day we would discuss nothing contentious or upsetting. You know, we would not answer the phone, um, not look at our email or any of that stuff. We would just spend the time together, listening to music, talking, and whatever else, and enjoy each other. And it's been working, you know, for a year and a half now, and so that sense of having, you know, programming a peak experience in almost, you know, saying there'll be this, we call it the Sabbath, this oasis from the rest of the world, it it works very well. And I, I think having the, the, you know, the, you know, it comes back to, will a, a computer ever be able to listen to music right. and say, oh, wow. And if it does, will it bother with, with us anymore? Will it go, I'm just going to listen to music now. Exactly. And there's the, the singularity just going,
1: That's right. That's exactly. right. I'm not right. being
0: Facebook anymore. I'm not wasting my time on that. You
1: know? Exactly.
0: Oh, um, dear.
1: I think we might want to move toward wrapping up. I think we've covered
0: a wide
1: array of, of points here on this. And, this, and it's, for me... To the audience, it, to me, this is all just food for thought. Uh, this is These are ideas that we're having. These are ideas I've been developing for a little while in response to. And you've, and you've heard me say I've talked to computer guys about this because I've been, been concerned enough to reach out to them and go, hey, what about these algorithms you guys program? What about this AI stuff? Uh, do you see where this is going? And what about these factors? And routinely, just routinely getting brushed off. It has been alarming. And that's the reason why I felt motivated and, uh, you know, to to talk to John about this. Um, I think we've both got concerns about where this is going. And if nobody's going to ask these questions, then it's up to us site guys to do it, because the computer guys aren't doing it. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. You know. And, and it is to, to create a debate. You know, when I wrote, let's sell these people a piece of blue sky, I wanted to write a definitive book about Scientology. And I was very glad when their head PR, former head PR Robert Vaughan Young said, this is the definitive book about Scientology. Um, It doesn't mean there's not a great deal more to be said, and it ended in 1990, so you know there needs to be a part two which I am not going to write unless somebody wants to give me a couple of million bucks or something. Um, But when I wrote Opening Our Minds, and it's gone through four iterations now, the idea was to start a a conversation. It, It was most certainly not to give the answer and, and in this conversation we haven't actually given any answers or sought to give any answers. What we're seeking to do is say, if enough people think about this, if enough people care about this, then it won't turn into a catastrophe. You know? And okay. so it's for everybody to participate and please do so in, in the comments on our various channels and be nice, you know. <laughs> Be respectful. You know, we can't help the funny way we look
1: <laughs> and sound. Exactly. Exactly. Always cracks me up when I get, you know. Chris sounds so nasal. Mm. I, I, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, it's take your point. nose off. Chris. I know, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, I am who I am. All right, John. Thanks for yep. joining me for this. This was a lot of fun. I think we talked about some important stuff, and I hope the audience agrees.
0: Yeah. And, and do so by subscribing and throwing money at us and tell, all telling all your mates about it, all the usual nonsense that exactly. people demand on these things.
1: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks.
0: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody. All right. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.